In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, first question. How do I draw boundary between living life in fear of causing our brethren to stumble and adhering to what we want to live like? Uh, actually, if you choose to live ungodly life, definitely you, you will be stumble to others. But if you choose to live godly life, you will not be stumbled to others. So I don't know how to, uh, to understand this question. When you say, and adhering to what we want to live like. Uh, as children of God, we need actually uh, to live a godly life. The Lord told us, you are light of the world, you are salt of the earth, you are my witnesses, so we are witnesses of Christ, and living a godly life actually will not stumble others. If others are stumbled because my godly life, then it is their problem, not my problem. Maybe because they want everyone to be ungodly, that's why they are not happy to see people uh, walking in the godly way. So, for example, if you are living life of purity and chastity, and this actually upset or disappointed somebody else, you, you, you don't date before marriage or whatever. So, if this makes somebody offended, that is their problem. You know, not, not your problem. But if you choose to live ungodly life and others get to stumble because of you, then you are responsible before God for this. Second question. Where we draw the line of seeking historical Jesus and seeking, seeking or seeing his humanity, like seeing him dance at a wedding and continue to see the divinity. I don't know from where you got the idea that Jesus was dancing. It never mentioned in the Bible that Jesus was dancing at a wedding. And definitely, he, and I assure you, he did not dance in wedding. Uh, and actually, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you call it, the historical Jesus in his life on earth, he was the best example, the, not the best, the perfect example of humanity. The perfect example in everything. And why he lived a perfect life, he resembled us in everything except for sin alone. You know, he lived because he is the son of God. <laughs> So uh, this separation between his humanity and, and divinity living uh, a life as a human and he is divine, you know, this separation actually was the main reason of the Council of Chalcedon because sincerely spoke, you know, from the moment of the incarnation, we're speaking about the incarnated Son of God. And we cannot actually separate between the humanity and divinity. 
and there is a theological term called exchange of properties. What do you mean exchange of properties? Because the humanity and the divinity are united together. So everything belongs to the humanity. I can actually say it about the incarnated Son of God. And everything belongs to the divinity. I can say it about the incarnated Son of God. For example, is it wrong to say that uh, Jesus Christ uh, get hungry? No. Yeah, hunger is a characteristic of human being, but he is perfect human and perfect divine and united together without mingling, without confusion, without alteration. So we can say the Lord Jesus Christ got hungry, got tired, died on the cross. We can say all these titles. What about, can I say the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge of the world? He is omnipotent, he is omni-knowledgeable, uh, yes, because he is God also. So all the characteristic of God, I can say it about the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the characteristic about human being, I can say it about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we call the exchange of properties. So definitely the Lord Jesus Christ conducted his life in a perfect way. In a perfect way. Uh, number three. Question number three. If someone is homosexual, but does not act upon it, would it be considered a sin? Okay. How he perceives homosexuality? If he perceives homosexuality, the person is a sin, and he is fighting it, and going through all the required treatment and spiritual struggle to overcome it, then God will not judge him because all of us who are sinners, homosexuality like lying, like cursing, like judging, like gossiping, you know, the problem is not I am struggling with a certain sin. The problem is when I say this sin is normal, it's not sin, it's something normal. For example, if somebody come and says lying is something normal. Why you are saying lying is sin? I'm a liar and you need to accept me as I am. And nothing wrong to lie. Definitely the church will tell him no. That's wrong. And you cannot take communion because lying is a sin. But if a person said, you know, I lie a lot and I know it is sin, I'm seeking help, I'm seeking spiritual guidance to overcome the sin of lying, the sin, the church will accept him, pray for him, give him communion, because he's struggling with the sin of lying, as all of us are struggling with several sins. So, our issue with the homosexuals not that they are struggling with homosexuality. It's sin like any other sin. But actually, our issue when they want to normalize it and say it is alternative lifestyle. It is, it is not. It is sin, it is illness, need to be treated, need to be repented. So if this person understands this, then yes, God will not 
hold him accountable as long as he is fighting the good fight. Does getting piercing or tattoo defile our body as a temple? Yes. Especially in the context of the culture. In the Old Testament, tattoo was part of the pagan worship. That's why in the book of Leviticus, there is a very clear verse, don't have tattoo in your body. Now here in the West, in America, tattoo and piercing is part of paganism. Uh, for example, people may have a, a tattoo of cross next to it, Satan, and next to it, something, you know. So it is uh, paganism. That's why even some people, when they tell me, can I have a cross here? I tell them, no. No. They tell me, why, why in Egypt they have cross? Because people, when they have cross in their hands in Egypt, the, the culture here does not perceive it as part of paganism. But the culture in Egypt perceive it as, you know, the Christian want to uh, say you are Christian. So they made this mark on their body. But here, actually, if you have a cross on your wrist, people will look at it as you have the two part of this pagan culture in which you are living. So I, yeah, I grew up in Egypt and I don't have a cross here. This doesn't make me a Christian. <laughs> you know, so uh, definitely piercing and, and, uh, and tattoo is defiling your body. Your body is the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abides in you. How do I run to God because I love him rather than being afraid of hell? You know, that's a, a good question. But nothing wrong to start with the fear, whether fear of God or being afraid of hell. And then gradually, when you start praying and reading the scripture, and enjoying the presence of God, then this fear of hell will be replaced with the love of God. So you will enjoy running to God because you love Him and you want to spend time with Him. So it's okay to start by, by being afraid uh, of hell. Uh, actually, St. Jude in his letter, he said, and Others save with fear. Others save with fear. In the letter of St. Jude. Save with fear can be interpreted in two ways. Save with fear can be interpreted. Save them while you are very careful and watching yourself. Lest you yourself get defiled or get tempted. Or actually you can save others by installing fear in them. This can be a starting point. Fear of hell and, and to, to be afraid of God, as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hand of the living God. So nothing wrong to start with this. Then when you start praying, reading the scripture, attending liturgies, developing a personal relationship with God, at the end, you know, you will actually uh, run to him because of love, not because of fear. Because it is beautiful to have 
a relationship with the Lord. Is there hierarchy hierarchy of sin? Yes. For example, public sins, uh, because there is you offend others, uh, you will get more uh, punishment than personal or private sins. Also. Uh, Offending others and leading them away from the faith, this sin can be punished more. A negligent servant in his service can be punished like the non-believers. As the Lord said, this servant, uh, when the master comes and sees this servant, he will cut him into two and put his portion with the non-believers just because he is negligent in his service and the Lord said for Sodom and Gomorrah will be in more tolerable condition than Chorazin and Kafrinahom these cities that did not believe in Jesus Christ so in hell there are levels, there are hierarchy uh, even in, in punishment as in heaven there are hierarchy or levels in in reward, the same for hell. What are the Coptic views of abortion in case of rape? You know, before I came, I uh, searched what are the possibility of getting pregnant after legitimate rape. And I will tell you what I mean by legitimate. And they say the possibility of a person to get pregnant after legitimate uh, rape is exactly like snow falls in Miami in summer. It's very, very rare. But what do I mean by legitimate? Because the definition of rape is uh, altered right now. And for example, a girl goes alone with her boyfriend to his apartment and they are alone. And then they drink together and both of them got drunk and they are alone. And after this, he has sexual relationship with her. She is drunk, so she is not in her conscience, but she started drinking willingly and she knows what she is doing. Then when she wake up, she will say he raped me. Why? Because he did not take my consent. Yes, I understand consent is very important, but you put yourself in this situation. I cannot say this is legitimate rape. What what do you expect when you go with a boy to his apartment and start drinking together and nobody around you? What are you going to do midnight praises after this? What do you expect? What do you expect? So after this, you say it's rape. And if you get pregnant, you will ask for abortion? Of course not. Abortion is murder. And we cannot actually fix one sin with another sin. I cannot fix rape with, uh, or, or sexual immorality with abortion. But for legitimate rape, rape means a person who force himself on another. The percentage of, of, um, of getting pregnant 
is very, 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 very rare. And that's what the statistics says. Some things that are asked to do as Christian seem almost impossible to accomplish. Knowing that God expects us to be perfect, does he do that on purpose so that we are always working? About almost impossible, as the Bible says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. But let me explain to you two words St. Paul used in Rome in his, in, his, sorry, in his letter to Romans, the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of Christ. And when God asked us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, what does he mean by this? And can we become perfect? Can we become holy or not? Righteousness of the law means you have the commandments, you have the law, and you want actually to achieve this righteousness with your own effort. And this is impossible. I agree with the person who wrote the question. It is impossible. It is impossible to be completely perfect. That's why the righteousness of the law failed to save the people. What about the righteousness of Christ that St. Paul mentioned a lot and asking us to achieve this righteousness of Christ. Christ, when he came, and this is one of the many, many purposes of incarnation, he came to fulfill all the righteous requirement of the law. He came to fulfill all the righteous requirement of the law. That's why he prayed. That's why he fasted. That's why he allowed Satan to tempt him, etc., etc., etc. He worshipped. He went to the temple. Why? Definitely he did not need this. But when actually I abide in Christ, then anything that I do which is imperfect will be considered perfect because I am in Christ. My prayer. My prayer definitely imperfect. We struggle with prayer. We get distracted. We cannot focus. We get tired, etc., etc. So what will make my prayer, which is totally imperfect, what will make this prayer perfect if I'm in Christ? So my prayer, which is totally imperfect, will be perceived by God as perfect because Christ prayed. So my, my prayer will be perfect in his prayer. As long as I am in Christ, his righteousness will be counted my righteousness. Even if I'm struggling, as long as I'm repenting and abiding in Christ, then his righteousness will be counted as mine. So I will be perfect. That's why the word impossible will disappear. Because I am in Christ. That's why we take communion every day. To continue being in Christ. That's why we repent every day. That's why you have spiritual fathers. You know, and we confess to them regularly. By doing all these things, then his righteousness will be counted as my own righteousness. That's why he, he became man. Why he became man? 
why he took our humanity so I can join his humanity and by joining his humanity I can be also joining his divinity and abiding in Christ the incarnate son of God this will make anything I do while it is imperfect will be received as perfect because Christ resembled me in everything I, I hope you understand this point uh, that's why Jesus fasted that's why Jesus prayed that's why he was tempted by Satan all this for my own sake and maybe some of you heard the term theosis and there is debate about what it means but in a simple way it means to abide in Christ to be in Christ so his righteousness will be counted as my own righteousness but the question perceives that I am separate from Christ and I have a list of requirement to do and it is impossible and I agree it's impossible that is the Old Testament that's how the people strived in the Old Testament that's why the Lord came with a new covenant new covenant based on grace new covenant based on me abiding in God and God abiding as Saint Asanis said God became son of man in order to make man son of God to abide in him I hope this is clear are we able to fix the problem and prevent any damage to earth global warming because he is a creator do we ask from him to heal the earth or let it be since it simply might be his will when God actually created us he created us as guardians to the, the, the whole world and to the earth the God said to Adam till the ground and work in it and in our prayers we pray for the water the air of heaven the climate the animals everything so definitely we have responsibility to do our best you know to protect the earth and to protect the nature because we are a steward we are a steward God give us this stewardship and we need to be faithful and wise as the Lord said who is a faithful and wise steward but since the fall of Adam and Eve the earth was cursed which means one day the earth and the heaven that we see it will pass away as the Lord said but until this happens we are responsible as a steward to do our best to keep the earth and the nature around us in the best condition as wise and faithful steward definitely we can pray for uh, for the earth as, as we pray in our, in our all prayers and we do our will but uh, we do actually our our work uh, faithfully and wisely then you know the will of God will be done regarding the, the end of the world and the destruction of uh, the earth and, and heaven and there is a new earth and new heaven but until this happen it's our responsibility as wise and faithful steward to pray and to take good care of the earth 
Where do we draw the line between not supporting the sins of others? For example, we will not attend a homosexual wedding, but we could attend a wedding from someone who smokes cigarettes, both not orthodox weddings. There is difference between wedding of a smoker and wedding of a homosexual. Why? Because the main focus in the wedding of a person who smokes is not smoking. For example, we are not making a celebration to for the person to start smoking. And we are celebrating this and we're encouraging this. Definitely, if there is such celebration, you know, celebrate a person to start smoking, I will not attend it as a Christian because here I am celebrating sin. Or if there is a celebration to celebrate the first marijuana you use or first drug use, first heroin use, I'm not going to attend this. It's, it's non-Christian, you know? But in the same way, attending wedding of homosexual, you are celebrating sin. You are celebrating union of two homosexuals together. So the focus of this wedding is union between two homosexuals, which is a sinful act. But attending a wedding of a person who smokes, maybe this person is struggling with smoking and living life of repentance. So the focus of the wedding here is not smoking. The focus of the wedding here is to celebrate the union of two persons in the name of Christ. Uh, of course, we mentioned non-orthodox wedding. That's another uh, issue. Yeah. To yeah, has, yeah, you need to have discernment whether you attend or just you congratulate the person. But for example, if an orthodox person decided to marry outside the orthodox church, if you are t- attending such wedding, then you are encouraging and approving that this person leave his mother, the Orthodox Church, and join another church. So it needs some discernment. I understand that anger is not a sin, but how you react on it. But why did Jesus react on his anger when he was in the temple? How should we react on our anger? But he reacted in a godly way. There is word used in the scripture called indignation. Usually the word indignation means godly anger. And most of the time when it's used means godly anger. Godly anger. You, you are angry for the glory of God. Like when Moses, when he found people worshiping the golden calf and saying, this is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. He was angry and he broke the two tablets that he uh, received from the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he saw people buying and selling and making the temple like a market, he said, my father's house is not a a house of merchandise. You you made a den of thieves. And actually he drove them out of of the temple. So the indignation or the holy zeal, nothing wrong with it. But when we get angry because somebody hurt me, when when the Lord Jesus Christ he told him, 
you are casting demon by Baal Zabub, the ruler of the demon. We did not see him get angry and yelled at the people, screamed at them, drove them away. No, actually start with logic and reason to answer them. So we need to examine our anger. Are we angry for the glory of God? Or when we get angry, we get angry because our own glory or somebody hurt me or somebody didn't actually honor me as I want to be honored, etc. So holy zeal or holy anger or sometimes called indignation, it is accept how how to will be close to God. You need to make the decision to be close to God, to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is very important because without abiding in Christ, whatever you do is considered imperfect. That is the righteousness of the law. But when you are in Christ, everything you do will be perfect. Christ presented himself as our bridegroom and are his bride. So think how, you know, a couple get close to each other. They communicate, they talk, they spend time with each other. They love each other. When actually someone hurt the other, apologize to him and ask for forgiveness. That's exactly how to get close to Christ. Now communicate, prayer, listen to him, gospel. Uh, if you do something wrong, you apologize. That's confession and repentance. Intimate relationship, that's in communion. So actually, that's how to get close uh, to, to Christ. Just spend time with him, come to the church, spend time in, in prayer, in, in liturgies, listen to sermons. That's how actually you will get close to Christ. What's your opinion about becoming vegan to save animals? God said to Peter in uh, Hebrew, in, in Acts chapter 10, what God actually make it lawful, don't make it unlawful. So if God allowed us to eat animals, nothing wrong. Yani, if you want to be vegan as part of asceticism, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but yani, to make something unlawful, while God made it lawful, what verses from the Bible give us to where permission eat animals? In Genesis chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10. And also in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter, um, chapter 8 and chapter chapter 8 when he said, كل ما زبح في الملحمة كلو غير فحسين. All the God gave permission to eat animals was Genesis chapter 9. Peter in, in Acts chapter 10, I cannot eat this. What God make it lawful, don't make it unlawful. But then when there was a debate about whether they eat animals offered to, sacrifice, offered to idols or not, St. Paul said whatever is slaughtered in Malhama, whatever. Uh, eat it. There are many verses in the Bible about eating animals. Can God save a lost soul by our deep prayers? Yes. God actually will try to make every possible opportunity for him to repent. But at the end, it is the person's choice whether he chooses to repent or not to repent. But God actually will يعني, like encircle him 
with every single opportunity and pierce him as he did with Saul. Until when you will kick against the goads. So God will, will pierce him with several goads to lead him to repentance. I heard your grace say monasticism is a choice. Does that mean if my calling is to serve people, can I still choose to give up my life to Christ through monasticism? Okay. Monasticism is a choice. You, you decide. As the Lord, when he spoke about the eunuchs, he said some eunuchs actually choose this for the sake of God. Not literally, but يعني, to, to live a life of celibacy. You can read it in Matthew chapter 19. So it's a choice. People who want to consecrate their life to God, there are two ways. A contemplative life or life of service. Contemplative life, it's life in, monasteries, in monasteries. It, it, the main focus is contemplation and worshiping the Lord. But if you want actually to consecrate yourself for service, it's another route called consecration, like the consecrated servants. And we have consecrated male servants and consecrated female servants. So if you choice to serve the Lord, then monasticism will not be your way. Monasticism, you are not suitable to choose monasticism. You need to choose consecration and serving in, in the world, but you will take the same vows, the vow of celibacy, the vow of poverty, and the vow of obedience. That's for consecrated servant. Thank you, and, and God bless you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.